Awesome. Okay, here we go. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Doom to Bloom podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Andrea. Hello, Andrea. Hello, Jacqueline. Thanks How for you? having me on. I'm awesome today. Thank you for being so open to share kind of a mix of your story and some professional wisdom with us. I know it's not always easy to share, you know, mental health struggles or trauma struggles or addiction struggles. So I just really appreciate you being here and being open to sharing. Oh, it's all about expression, personal expression. I think that's kind of where I come from. And since 2020, I've been putting it all out there and it's been awesome and refreshing. Amazing. Well, I'm so excited that you're here and I'm so excited for your journey. But before we start, I always like to just ask the guest where they are guesting from. <laughs> oh, well, I'm Andrea Atherton and I am in Northern Colorado in Fort Collins. Okay. To be honest, I don't know where that is. Like, I know that's in the States, but I don't know specifically where that is. So we're, we're Colorado or Northern Colorado. Both. Oh, <laughs> do you know? Have you heard of the Rocky Mountains ever? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Is that where you are? Right next to them. Yes. Oh, that'd be beautiful. Amazing. I am in Ontario, Canada. Ah. So we're there's a bit of a, you know, a distance between us. A little bit. <laughs> yes. Just a little bit, but that's okay. We love that. <laughs> I know. Variety is the spice of life. Absolutely. All right. Are you ready to share your wisdom with the world? Yeah. First, I'll start off, you know, introducing myself. Like I said, I'm Andrea Atherton. And um, as we talked before we hit record, I'm just realizing all the twists and turns my, my life has taken and how joyous it's been. But that one thing has remained true is my commitment in my dharma, my path about discovering what love really is and teaching other people how to love and especially themselves. That sounds like a very juicy topic. So I feel like <laughs> we need to kind of pick the layers at that. Okay, deal. Where, so, what's the first layer that we should pick? Gosh, well, I can start, you know, start from, you know, from the beginning, because we talked about mental health issues. And you were talking about a person who had a, a parent who was an alcoholic. So I had a cast of characters who um, helped me find my path um, Two parents with borderline personality disorder. Um, my father was in Vietnam and came back and was total mental health all over the place, left my mother. My mother became an alcoholic and I lived with my grandparents where my grandmother also suffered from trauma and had undiagnosed bipolar disorder. So it was, a, it was an interesting beginning. So when I say my mental health challenges probably started in utero. Now, do you, if you're open to sharing, do yeah. you have any diagnosis yourself? I have um, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and, um, well, kind of on the light side, some seasonal affective disorder. Like, okay. it's funny because I just think everybody has uh, either CPTSD or, or PTSD these days. It's like, oh, no big deal, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, it's yes, becoming and, more common. Yes, yes. And as a, um, 
as a psychotherapist and art therapist, a somatic healer and um, a trauma-informed yoga therapist too, that's why I kind of developed those skills because everybody had a host of other dual diagnosis, but also trauma seemed to be at the basis of all of it. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. So let's, let's delve into, I guess, a couple things here. The, the layers that you have for the self-love and loving the self, and then also the layers of your different roles and what those look like. Excellent. Okay. (laughs) Well, let's start with love because that's where it all starts because I love to say that there's only fear in love and actually fear is false evidence appearing real. So the only real true energy is love. And the only basis of true healing is love in its many different facets. And I'm a podcast host of the Love Anarchy podcast. And that's what I talk to people all over the world to give their view on real conscious connective love, not the um, Hollywood, Bollywood version of love or not sometimes not what we're told what love is. And as a young child, I really would think people are saying they love me, but this sure does not feel like love. I feel like I'm the adult and everybody else is off the rocker. I had to be so well behaved and bury all my feelings and have to be, had to be hypervigilant, which eventually turned me into an empath. But I remember like looking like I'm like, I'm like Alice in Wonderland, man. I'm like, I'm like, (laughs) I felt like the only sane one. I mean, and like that, the pressure of keeping it and then surviving it really made me venture out later on like love in spirituality and love in relationships and love in friendships um, and the power of healing around that. That's incredible. And so when did your, I mean, I guess to me anyways, healing is kind of a constant, but when did your self-love journey and self-love healing start specifically for you? I, I think all my, I think I was doing research when I was younger and discovered that that was a curiosity of mine or a conundrum of mine. And I saw it in other places. So I think I started the journey, uh, you know, a very long time ago. Um, and it was awesome as a child, what love wasn't. And then I was raised Catholic and I never felt like they were talking to me as a female. Like there was so few roles as female. And as at five years old, I'd actually pretend to do sign language. I knew how to do some because my neighbor was deaf, but so I really wouldn't listen to them. Because I'm like, you're not even talking to me, so why should I bother? So I, I was a little bit anarchist about some of their traditions and, you know, some of the limited roles for women. So, um, and then um, I had a pretty profound mystic experience in eighth grade in catechism. We were in the rectory. And I'll, I'll share the story quickly, but it was one of my first... 
experiences into deep spirituality and deep love that we were taught meditation and they lit a candle in a very dark room, taught us how to meditate. I closed my eyes. I dropped so deeply into this meditation and all of a sudden Jesus is over me with his hand literally on my heart and his mother, Mother Mary has her hand on his looking down on me and he told me like I could feel it. He's like, you are so loved. And my, I just like uh, leaked. I wasn't like sobbing, crying, but my heart just opened and it just pushed out tears all over the place. Okay. We stopped. There were like 20 minutes is up. I'm like 20 minutes. I'm like, my face is wet. My clothes are wet. I'm like, oh my gosh. And does anybody want to share about their experience? I'm thinking, hell no, I'm not going to share my experience. They're going to think they're going to lock me up. So, you know, I was, I, and I didn't share until gosh, recently. And there's like so many like, um, spiritual things that happened that reminded me that I'm loved, that I'm, you know, in my connection with the higher power. Um, I argued with the priest, we had reconciliation and, um, my grandparents are like, you're going to go. I'm like, no, I can talk to God, you know, on my own. I don't need another human. And so they took me and we had an argument, you know, or debate, I should say. And he didn't argue with me, but I guess so many things that felt so man-made and too, with the Bible, there's so much love in there, but how it got interpreted, I felt more controlled. Wow. And, and so where did you, where did your healing journey go from there? Where did it well, take I mean, uh, then, it, you know, then I was a teenager and I went to college and I feel like um, I actually became an atheist for a little while. But then I went um, and got my master's degree in my later 20s um, at, to become an art therapist. And I got a master of science in art therapy. At the time, psych, ironically, psychotherapy was just moving from mind body to mind body spirit. And the director of my program was writing a book about spiritual art therapy, ironically. So I got I got tripped right into my spiritual experience. And uh, my thesis, I wrote a Jungian analysis on my own dreams, artwork, and meditation. And they kind of feed into one another. So I you know, you know, inadvertently tripped into a very spiritual realm. Like I dropped into past lives and I wrote all about my experience. So that was pretty amazing. Wow. So that kind of set like, I, I think spirituality connected with love was, is the basis of healing for me. Wow. And then what were the next steps for you after that? Then after grad school, um, sold everything and moved from up, upstate New York, or actually Western New York to Colorado. And wow. I got rid, it felt so good to get rid of everything. And then I started uh, working um, in the field. I started at a detox. So I started getting experience in addictions. And again, ironically, how much spirituality and love has to do with healing from addictions. 
So it, it's been, love has been tied through everything. So I worked there for a while and then started a private practice, became a yoga teacher, was one of the first kind of yoga therapists. Um, there was no training or whatever for it. I kind, of, I kind of feel like I was a dual diagnosis counselor before there was dual diagnosis there. I feel like I was doing yoga and mindfulness before other people, I'm sure in other parts of the world, but not in Colorado anyways. Um, and I just started integrating all these healing modalities and then somatic experiencing, you know, I was already doing like with yoga, I started um, incorporating all the experiential and spiritual components to my practice as a psychotherapist. And so for those of the listeners that may not necessarily know psychotherapists from other types of therapists and counselors, can you, can you kind of describe in a nutshell psychotherapist? Oh, you know what? Even, <laughs> even in each state, the work, called different things they're referred to so in Colorado we can kind of interchange counselor psychotherapist but I think when we're in private practice that's kind of the label we give ourselves we can be therapists um, specifically um, I'm a art and mindfulness therapist if you were going to kind of put a label on me um uh, that's kind of where my career went to. But I've also incorporated Reiki, um, you know, um, energetic work um, and teaching um, people about their intuition and about, you know, feeling the answers in their bodies, too. And um, a lot of empaths started coming to me, <laughs> which is awesome, because Sometimes we're told we're too emotional and rather than being judged for being too emotional, I teach empaths how to take it as a power to be empowered, to have this kind of information and feeling about people and um, places. And so I guess because I'm not super familiar either with psychotherapists in a sense, especially in Canada, because I feel like there's probably some differences. You, I don't know, but what do you call in Canada? What do you call your therapist counselors? What do you call them? A, a therapist. <laughs> okay. Oh, so you guys, because, because we often, I think it comes from psychology, having a psych clinical psychological background, but like potato, potato. Probably, you know, I also, I like, I don't want to kind of undermine anybody else's work, but I feel like up here in my experience, therapist and psychologist get intermingled, but I don't necessarily know the difference between those either. If I'm being perfectly honest. Well, it's similar. (laughs) Okay. I can, I can share with the listeners about this. Psychologists are just an an advanced degree. They specialize a little bit more and they're able to do psychological testing. So in, at least in the States where a psychotherapist pretty much can do everything, but they're not trained in that specific psychological testing. And so then a psychologist has a PhD and then a psychotherapist usually has a master, um, master of the arts, master of science. Um, so that's how that's differentiated. And then I know uh, psychiatrists get mixed 
uh, it's confusing too. Where psychiatrists usually either have an MD, a nurse practitioner degree, and they study, um, they're able to give, you know, to give meds too. So they come from a medical background and then study um, the psychological, in, you know, impact of um, medicines on the brain. So I actually knew uh, the difference between like a therapist and psychiatrist because I know they're the ones like prescribing my medication. So I did know that one. But, Good, because a but, lot of people, a lot of people don't. So I just, I, I feel like I might know that probably because I've been medicated for so long. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably why. But in, in saying you do, um, the yoga teaching and the somatic work. Can you tell us more about that? Sure thing. I, I, um, right after I started my practice, I jumped right in and decided to get my yoga teacher training. I took a nine month training and, um, ended up teaching to be able to pay for it. It was really selfish. It was really for me. I wanted to deepen my practice and find, you know, and discover the other limbs of yoga. And I ended up loving teaching. So then as I taught, I thought, Ooh, I could integrate this into my practice and working with individuals and couples and just kind of melded the mindfulness concepts and, um, you know, without even knowing it, doing somatic work around that, like the breath work and changing the nervous system. Um, so I had to incorporate a lot of that in there. Um, and, uh, you know, people think of yoga as asana, especially here in the States, but it actually has seven other limbs that um, you can incorporate into therapy as well. And so, when you say that you incorporate yoga into um, like your your practice with the psychotherapist work, yep. what yep. does that look like? I'm, I'm, I'm picturing yep, like mm -hmm. I'm picturing like you, <laughs> and this is probably very stereotyped, okay. but this is why I'm asking. I picture you know, the typical like therapy office where somebody is sitting on a couch and the therapist is sitting in a big fancy chair with a notepad and writing notes. And then all of a sudden you get up and you start doing yoga poses. <laughs> okay. Um, that is, Jacqueline, that's so not me. So I'm pretty, and as an art therapist, I have a tall table with, with like high seats on it. So we're like, we're very somatic anyways, even if doing art and sometimes we'll be doing art. Sometimes we'll be standing and doing like some poses. Sometimes we'll be sitting and doing a visual visualization. Um, you know, we'll both be doing it. So yeah, imagine um, the chairs are there, but imagine using the floor and the high, the high table to do artwork or to stand up and splatter paint against the walls. So it can look, look very different. I do verbal therapy too, um, but often sneak in, um, you know, the, these experiential ideas and concepts into it. So I know a lot of people think, you know, like, uh, Freudian psychoanalysis is like, do you want me to lay down on the couch? I'm like, no, it's okay. <laughs> Only if we're doing a visualization, then you can. <laughs> so, and that's, I'm glad I asked because that's I exactly do. what I was kind of 
picturing. <laughs> uh-huh, good, good. I'm glad you asked because people don't know. People come in and like, how's this going to work? I'm like, well, in over the years, I've added these tools and um, really been able to assess the person and kind of what they need are like, hey, let's try this or let's try that. And the experiential process is more about the right, right brain side, not about logic, but it's about feelings. And it's in um, these experiential processes access the past easier, especially the somatic experience. If you are under like the age of four or five, when you've experienced trauma, then it, you know, we can access it and actually bring it to to light and bring it to the frontal lobe so people can integrate it. And okay, so this this has brought a whole <laughs> bunch of questions for me. Oh good. All right. <laughs> so some personal thrown in here for you. So I was seeing a therapist, I guess, in in my area here in Ontario. And I I guess I need to jump back a couple steps. So I have been in and out of therapy, trying to find the right fit and trying to find like somebody I can jive with and actually open up to and, and work through all the things. But I've been in and out of it for probably like 12 to 14 years now. And it's, I, I just struggle to find that one person that I can kind of rely on and continue the rapport building and everything. So I ended up actually at a recommendation of my coworker going to another organization who I guess they, so there's like a supervisor therapist and kind of sign off hours on all of the people below. Okay. But then there's probably a good eight to 12 therapist employed there. And so I was seeing somebody who specialized in somatic work. Um, and I struggled. So I, I haven't come to the point in my healing where I've been able to talk about everything. I've kind of with different therapists, I've touched on, you know, this happened at eight and this happened at 16, but I never actually gave the timeline and talked about everything. And so when I got to the somatic work, she, I just, I, I didn't know that I was necessarily ready for it. And so I Uh guess my question would be, and everybody's going to be different, but in kind of a general sense, does it make more sense to kind of do the storytelling and to get out your details of the trauma and your experiences prior to doing the somatic work? Because I felt like I hadn't talked to this therapist about pretty much anything and we would join sessions and it would be, so how's your body feeling today? Okay, let's, you know, let's, put your hand over your chest and talk to the inner child and do the breath work. But I didn't find it. I found it helpful in the moment. But then after I walked out the door, I still felt like I had the big weight on my back. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And everybody's so different, but it sounds like you needed to develop a little bit more of a therapeutic relationship with her. Your personal style was getting to know her energy and how she worked and then slowly integrated into the somatic experience. I guess that's what I usually do. And yeah, the somatic stuff is foreign and, um, And but then with some people who've experienced trauma before the age of four or five, 
they can't access it because your frontal lobe isn't developed. So some, but I, I usually don't jump right in Um, with it. I usually, um, you know, kind of feel somebody out and try a little this and try a little of that and do a lot of assessment before I jump into that work. But, you know, some people want to jump right in, but um, I can see why you might've felt that way. Like, you know, wanting to kind of develop a therapeutic relationship with her first. I feel like, does it, does it kind of make sense? Yeah. Maybe, maybe for the story that I just shared with you to have to be able to tell my story and share my truth and the reality before I think I can dig into those inner child. Yes. Everybody's different. Every, and I, you know, and that's exactly what I do is, you know, take, you know, as long as you need to share, you know, and then I'll kind of like uh, during the assessment time, I don't move into somatic work, but I might go back and forth with the art um, where people feel stuck and kind of build the story through that. And I, I, and I agree. And some people don't want to talk at all. And so what are some examples of kind of the art therapy side of what you do? That's, there we go. Perfect lead into that. Some people don't like to talk at all. Some people um, do art. Like, so I'll do assessments at first to kind of see where I'm getting, getting started. But in my office, I have the table and we go outside, we burn stuff, we drop stuff. We like, I have almost every non, um, chemical art supply that there is I you know I don't want to harm anybody with any chemicals or anything too sharp or dangerous so that's but I pretty much have in everything and if I feel or somebody requests something I'll often bring it in but um, yeah it can look different um, for everybody but I love being able to go back in back and forth between the somatic and then which is the right brain in the body and then art, which is kinesthetic too. You're moving your body as you're doing artwork, but it's also like a form of meditation. Some people don't want to talk at all. And often, like I'm going to say teenagers and young adults love to draw and process and they can't process unless they're drawing. So there are so many different ways of going about it, but I've, I kind of assess the person and I think about the supplies that might elicit supporting them or pushing them if they need that um, during that time. And so I guess when I think art therapy, I think like a wide range of things like drawing. Um, I think like painting, mm-hmm. um, what what other examples do you do? Well, sculpting. Um, uh, what I'm trying to gosh, everything found objects. I love like picking up supplies like tiles, sea glass. Um, you know, doing fabrics. Um, there's so many. I'm like, there's so many different supplies. I do something that was developed in the seventies called touch drawing where you take water-based oil paints and you put them on shower board and you put paper down and you draw into it and then you pull it out and you have a print. So I do all kinds of printing. I loved you recycling things and taking recycled objects and turning it into art. 
So art can be of anything or bringing in natural items. I, I've done eco art therapy where I've taken clients out into the mountains and we did art out of what we can find in the mountains. That sounds amazing. <laughs> it you, is. You had me at mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's one thing about being here is, yeah, we're very lucky. Yes. What would what would or could art therapy look like maybe without being connected necessarily to you or a therapist? I'm just thinking of not everybody being able to financially afford um, therapy or a psychotherapist, but maybe the art therapy might be beneficial. Is there any tips or tactics that might? Well, I like offhand, I don't know, but I'm going to bet on the World Wide Web. There probably are, I'm going to guess, and I know there's books out there. I've read, read the older ones, but about tips on creating art for healing. I mean, you know, I, and I apologize, art therapists out there who have written a book. I, I just can't think of them offhand. Um, but yeah, there are so many intervent, we call them interventions, like the, um, exercises that you do we call them interventions and there's books with all different kinds of interventions about what you're trying to process and what supplies you need and what you need to do and I I know there's even online groups and online art therapy that is done out there I do it now um, in my coaching practice so I funneled all this glorious amazing work into my passion of love you know, and really honing into working with individuals and couples, but I still use all these skills and um, I, I can do it online as with COVID lockdown. We learned to do, I learned how to teach yoga online and I learned to do art therapy online too. So um, if you just search art intervention, art therapy, um, there's tons of stuff and I'm sure on YouTube, there's going to be suggestions on how to use our every, every different way. One suggestion I have is just having an art journal. You know how sometimes you just open a journal and write. It's mm -hmm. like just opening the journal and art, but not assessing it right away. Just letting yourself be in your right brain, you know, maybe pushing it aside for a minute and then pulling it back and ask what is this drawing saying to me? What, do the, how do the colors make me feel? What are the lines reminding me of? What about the placement of the objects and kind of letting the art talk to you? So you, you kind of answered my question already, but just looking for some clarification. When you mentioned that you can look into creative art for healing specifically, is there I guess, proven or techniques or art therapies that work specifically with kind of certain healing and certain diagnosis? Yes, yes and no. There's been um, research done out there on certain um, interventions that will work in certain materials that'll work to help elicit different things. And there's also art assessments out there where you can kind of assess where people are at. And there is like diagnostic drawing series where um, you can use to diagnose someone, but yes. Um, 
and everybody's so individual too that people may not want to work with a certain material or don't like the way chalk feels. I don't like the way chalk feels. Um, I like I like oil pastels, but I the chalky stuff. I'm like it just it just gives me shudders. So some people are tactically you know responsive to different things. But yes, there has been lots of research done on different um, our interventions um, for specific groups. And there's a lot of books out there and probably a lot online that um, specify the different treatment for the different diagnoses. I think I'm definitely going to look into that. If you happen to at some point think of any authors or artists, would you pass those along to me? I can even know what I'll do. Even when I send my stuff for the, for down in the show notes, I'll go like, I'm just, like I said, my, like my member, like under pressure right now, I'm like, I can't remember and I could give you some, but I know they're not the juicy ones. So I'll have Ooh, to go. I want I'll the juicy to, ones. I want, yes, exactly. I want <laughs> to go up. And then I also want the ones maybe that have been recommended to me that I haven't read yet that people are freaking about and I have to go and like, I have them saved all over. So Okay. Yeah. yeah that would be awesome. Do you have any, I guess maybe not statistics, because I feel like that might be a hard one, but do you have any insight into, I guess, how beneficial art therapy and somatic work has been? Has Have you found more success with maybe one gender or one race or more one age group, or has it just been successful all around? Well, I guess it's kind of where I'm at. It's like, I can't like... Um because I'm in Fort Collins and it's been pretty white here. You know what I mean? So it's not like New York where I used to live, where it was very culturally mixed. I didn't have like a, you know, a reference of a bunch of different cultures and things like that. Um, I did have some like the Latino um, and Latina population. And, but um, in, unfortunately it's more women in the past who have gone to therapy men your age now are rock on are going now. So um, maybe I would have a different longitudinal um, vision of it. But um, mostly I've worked with women, especially the ones who, you know, admitted or got treated for trauma. Um, And, you know, and like I said, some men are trickling in. So it's really hard for me to say it's like, um, and I love the improvements that younger men are more open and talk about therapy and are more willing to go. Yay. Shout out to anybody. If you're yes. listening that that's you and, and shout out to anybody listening that also does therapy just in general, that shit is hard. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's why I, I think that's another thing I like about art therapy and somatic. It's like, it gets you outside of your comfort zone. Like we're not sitting on comfy couches and stuff. We get on the floor, we get up, like we put, you know, it pushes you a little bit to get, to get to other things. And it's fun. You know, sometimes I, you know, I can't say therapy is always fun and it's not supposed to be, but it should be a mix of everything. See, and I think you've sparked an interest for me personally, because a couple of things. One, I feel like I'm at a point where I just want to tell my story and get that out. 
before I can start healing anything. And then two, I really love art and craft things. So I feel like maybe trying like an art therapy type would be beneficial. So, but I, I don't know. I guess we don't know until we try. Can I make another suggestion? Absolutely. You're the customer. So if you want to tell your story, you tell the therapist what you'd like to do. And if they can't do that, then you get another therapist. See, and I kind of pondered with that, but then in the back of my mind, so I have, I have followed that advice now, but when I was actually seeing her, I, I kind of wrestled with the idea in my mind that, you know, she's the, she's the expert. She's the one that's supposed to be coaching me on kind of working through things and, and she says, maybe I just need to focus on this. So let's focus on this. And I didn't necessarily come to terms or think yeah. that at the time, but I do. Didn't, you really didn't know what to now. expect with somatic healing either. So you're like, well, maybe this is how it is. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But I, I think you need to say that advice again for anybody that didn't catch that. That if you're going to a therapist and you, you know, you need to do something like tell your story or some clients come in and not want to do art that day, they want to process verbally that you should be comfortable enough to ask your therapist what you need because you are the client, you are the patient. And if they can't give you that, then you look for another therapist because you know, we all have our strengths and our weaknesses out there. And, um, and some people can't accommodate you and, you know, that's okay. And it's, it doesn't hurt our feelings. If you say, I don't think this is working because therapy is a relationship. Just like I do coaching on relationship, therapeutic relationship is an important relationship too. See, and I think as like a people pleaser, I find that incredibly hard to not want to hurt the therapist's feelings, despite knowing that I probably won't anyways. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you may, and you may, but that's not, you are why you're there. That's, that's why, what the relationship is about. And so practice for y'all practice asking the therapist what you need, or if they start broaching a subject or asking questions, just say, I don't want to go there right now. I'm I don't feel comfortable going there right now. Or I don't want to talk about this. Can we talk about this? Of course it's your time. Of course. I love that. Do you have any other since we're kind of on the topic of advice and wisdom, do you have any other words of advice to any listeners or even me specifically, hint, hint, um, in regards to therapy sessions or somatic work or art therapy or learning to love yourself more and the self-love journey? Yep. If you're too comfortable with your therapist and you leave happy or like normal, then you're probably not doing the work. (laughs) You should, you should be pushed a little bit and find therapists who like who have new modalities, who push you outside of your comfort zone, like somatic, like art. Um, Like, I mean, there's dance therapists, there's all different kinds of approaches and there's all kinds of verbal therapy as well. So you know, notice, are you 
like at your end in your therapeutic relationship with your therapist, sometimes you have gone as far as you can. Is it time to move on and get outside of your comfort zone to continue to heal? And so that's definitely one and definitely speak your truth about what you need and, and research the different therapies out there. There's so much cool stuff out there now. I'm like, it's almost like I wanted to go back to school and get my PhD and um, neuropsychology and neurology and all these amazing things that are, that are coming up. Um, actually, my daughter's in school for neuroscience and psychology, a little jealous. Um, so if you're listening, Lil, I'm a little jealous of you, but <laughs> yes, I've, but now I am redeveloping all my years of all this mindfulness work, this yoga and this art and this creativity and talking about it, I'm getting my, like, I get so excited about it because it's love for me too, to be creative and share creative experiences and, and find the right intervention for people to begin to find a container of love and, and learn about themselves or step outside of their comfort zone when it comes to their current relationship. Because in the reason too, I, I'm focusing on relationships and therapy, that is the number one reason and motivator that people end up coming to therapy, whether they've had an ongoing um diagnosis or mental health issue. It's usually relationships that drives people to actually go through the door and see a therapist. <laughs> I love that. And I, I never, again, never thought to think, you know, if I'm leaving a session and I feel good or energized or like, quote unquote, normal, whatever normal is, yeah, I never right? thought that that's not good. Or not right? beneficial. <laughs> and, that's what I, and that's what I tell my clients. I'm like, yeah, we're not supposed to. Well, I didn't like, I left feeling bad. I'm like it. Well, that means you're probably not growing. Yeah. It's important that you have the range. Um, but if it's comfortable, then you're probably not doing the exact work that you need to do. On the other hand, though, to play a little devil's advocate yeah. is, is there is there ever a time where it should feel quote unquote good or comfortable leaving the session? Yes. And I have a lot of clients who come in and says, I didn't have anything go, go bad. I'm like, I must cancel them. Like why? Because this is the range of emotion. Let's celebrate all your wins. Let's talk about them. And it reminds me, I just had a session with a client a uh, college student and uh, she was moving, you know, like college students do. And so we were coming to our final termination session and we sat down, we wrote uh, all the ways that she grew over time and we created a container for it and she designed it and I put sparkles in it and we did all the ways that she grew and all the beautiful things that happened. So yes, you should feel everything. And I think that's the point of therapy, beginning to feel the range of all your emotions. That's amazing. And for the listeners, are you comfortable sharing where they can find you on socials? Sure thing. So um, my code, like I'm doing both right now. Um, so therapy and um, mindful, conscious love coaching. 
So my website is andreaatherton.com. Pretty easy. You can find me on Facebook at andreaatherton17 and on Instagram, Drea Atherton. And Atherton is spelled A-T-H-E-R-T-O-N. That's amazing. I definitely plan to go look through all of your social media. I just I find our <laughs> conversation so fascinating and I'm you glad. just have, you just have a wealth of knowledge. So I really appreciate you being a guest and sharing all your wisdom and all your advice and just everything that you've shared. Yeah. And if anybody has any questions, feel free and reach out to me on any of my uh, social media avenues or on my um, website. If you have any questions about therapy or about art therapy or about somatic work. I love, obviously I love to share. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much again for being a guest, Andrea. I really appreciated our time and just learning all the things that you've opened my eyes to. I'm so excited to share, yeah, to share my knowledge. And I'm, I'm excited that you're wanting to learn more for yourself and your personal growth. It, it makes my heart swell. <laughs> and I'm hoping that the listeners will also love this episode as much as I did and get all of the things out of it, just like I did. So if anybody listening to this wants to share some feedback or anything that they learned, I would love to hear that. And I'm sure, Andrea, you would as well. Mm -hmm. I would love that. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you again. And for the listeners, until next time, I'm sending you lots of love and lots of light.